0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we begin a week of special programs. We'll be playing some of our listeners' favorites from the past year. Today, James Collins and Bob Cornuke will look at the lost shipwreck of Paul.
1: In approximately 60 AD, a ship carrying 276 men and a cargo of grain shipwrecked off the coast of Malta. Two of the passengers on that ship were the biblical writers Paul and Luke, who were on their way to Rome, Paul as a prisoner, and Luke as his attending physician and friend. In Acts chapter 27 and 28, Luke gives a very detailed account of the voyage and the shipwreck. My guests today use Acts 27 and 28 as a guide to look for the remains of that famous shipwreck, and he tells the story in an amazing book titled The Lost Shipwreck of Paul. And I believe that after you hear him share his incredible story, you'll want to read this book. With me today is Bob Cornute. Bob is a biblical investigator, international explorer, and best-selling author. He has participated in over 70 international expeditions searching the world over for lost locations described in the Bible. These journeys include searching for the real Mount Sinai in Egypt and Saudi Arabia, exploring Turkey for the remains of Noah's Ark, following ancient Assyrian and Babylonian flood accounts in Iran and tracking the Ark of the Covenant from Israel to Egypt and across the Ethiopian highlands. He's been called the modern day Indiana Jones, and it's very exciting for me to speak with him today. Bob, welcome. Thanks so much for being our guest.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Well, now, your book, The Lost Shipwreck of Paul, is a page-turner. I've read it four or five times myself. The book is an adventure story and it's also a detective story. And you have a background in detective work. Tell me about your history of police work.
2: Well, I started off police work as a patrolman and then I worked motors for a while, but then I got involved. I'm a graduate of the FBI Homicide Institute, so I worked in TSI and homicide investigation.
1: Wow. So you have a unique background for uh, investigation.
2: Well, I have a a skill that I learned as a police officer, and I just felt that uh, as as my spiritual awareness grew, that I would apply that towards trying to find lost locations in the Bible—a daunting task because there are so many traditions out there. That no matter what you find, tradition sometimes will just fall on you like a big rock. People just don't sometimes want to hear their sacred cows slaughtered. So, when you have something like Paul's shipwreck, or Noah's Ark, or the Ark of the Covenant people have in Scots traditions about that. If you try to change that in any way, they get pretty riled up. But I just follow the Bible as the final mediator and roadmap and and arbitrator and all this.
1: Well, you write about meeting a famous man named Jim Irwin in 1985. He became a mentor to you and had a profound influence on your life. Tell me about Jim Irwin.
2: Great man, eighth man to walk on the moon, first one to drive the car on the moon. He had a great spiritual awakening while he was on the moon, very profound, so much so that he came back and committed his life to looking for lost locations in the Bible. Unfortunately, he died at 61 years old, and by that time we were close friends. I was the vice president of the High Flight Foundation, and the family sort of asked me if I'd pick up the the fallen flag, and uh, I did, and I've been searching for lost locations in the Bible ever since.
1: Well, I understand from reading The Lost Shipwreck of Paul that you were inspired to search for Paul's shipwreck through a shipwreck of your own on Lake Tana in Ethiopia. Will you share that story with us?
2: Yes, I will. Lake Tana is so far across, you can't even, it is 90 kilometers, so it's the second largest lake in Africa. So when you say you're shipwrecked on a lake, people say, well, lakes are kind of placid. Well, no, they're like you fill a big bowl full of water and kind of tilt it and slosh it around. That's what happens with the high winds and storms out there. You get fifteen high waves in the middle of this lake, and we hit a big rock in the middle of the lake. It was submerged. We we didn't know it was there, and it, we had about a fifty foot metal boat, about a 50, 1950s vintage boat, and it just ripped out the bottom of it, and it started sinking, and it was pretty scary. We had to the, the thought was we had to three and a half miles swim to shore at night with no lights and a big storm. But these fishermen came out and rescued us, and the next day I was reading the Bible about shipwrecks, and I read about. Paul's shipwreck and it kind of just jolted me when I read in that that version of the Bible where it said that the anchors on Paul's shipwreck were dropped in the sea right off the shore of Malta and so there are many there were many landmarks that that Paul talked about and we just went over and triangulated those and came to the exact spot and sure enough the anchors were there.
1: In your adventures that you've had through the years to find lost locations described in the Bible you were arrested Many times in the Middle East, you were shot at, you fell off of glaciers, you crash landed airplanes, and were chased by military patrols. That is in addition to the shipwreck story that you just shared with me. Why do you do it?
2: That's a good question. You know, I I, I get that from my kids and my wife. You know, where's the sanity and all this? You have to endure ridicule. There's the great expense of it all, there's the great risk of it all. But I just feel that God is leading me on primarily because. We have located so many things that are just beyond coincidence to me. I believe God is sort of leading us and our team to these locations. We more recently just found, let's say, John Hyrcanus' tomb over in Israel's walking into Kidron Valley. It just rained that night, and there was a little sliver of, of the, the rock that was washed away, and it opened up a little a little area that you can look inside and about the size of a basketball, and I put my phone in there, and it was one of the largest tombs ever found in Israel, and it was of John Hyrcanus', we believe. So. Those kind of things just, my wife said, Bob, I've been married to you for 28 years. You're not that smart. I know that God had to be in this or you wouldn't find all this stuff.
1: <laughs> well, let's talk about Paul. Now, in Acts 27 and 28, Luke describes a shipwreck. Paul is a prisoner on the ship that is headed to Rome. Can you share that narrative? How did the Apostle Paul end up shipwrecked on the island of, that we call today Malta?
2: Yeah, it was a long journey for Paul. It started off at the temple in Jerusalem, where he was accused of offering improper offerings. He was arrested. He was held prisoner there for a while, and then he was transported by about 470 men from Jerusalem to Caesarea. That's how big of a, you know, he was what we would consider to be a rock star today. Everybody knew who Paul was. Everybody talked about Paul. And so the, he was a political hot potato because he was a Roman citizen and he's this believer in Christ, so they didn't know what to do with the guy. So they throw him in prison for two years in Caesarea, and then he demands that he, he, he says, I demand as a Roman citizen that I can go before Caesar, and that was the law. So uh, they put him on a ship, and it was a small merchant ship, and it sailed from Caesarea to Sidon. He got off at Sidon because he was not feeling well. We don't know what he was sick with, but he was taken off and given some medical attention. Then he went off, then they went to Myra, where they Transported from that smaller merchant ship to a big Alexandrian grain freighter. Those big grain freighters would fly the Mediterranean Sea, taking grain from Alexandria to Rome because there was a food shortage in Rome because of the population was so high—over a million people in Rome at the time—and so they just didn't have enough food. So they go to so they had these big like tankers we'd call them today the big shipping tankers, but those days they were wood, but they were pretty impressive in size, even though they were made out of wood. But he got on the ship in Caesarea, and then he, I mean, in, into uh, Sidon. Then he went to the island of Crete, and they were going by Crete, and they, they ported in, in a small port there. And so they went to uh, Fairhaven. And then they stayed there a while, and they kind of decided, hey, it's getting late in the season. There's a lot of big storms happening this time of year. And so the owner of the ship said, now nah, we're going to risk it. We're going to go on. Paul warned him not to. But anyway, they went on. They did get into a big storm. Then the storm blew them, was called a Euroclide, and we would call it like a typhoon, and was blown by the island of Cloud. And there they had to throw off some of the, even some of the merchandise they were shipping that's unheard of, it's so expensive. But, and then they took the rigging and they had to put it underneath the bow of the ship just to keep it from falling apart. The waves were pounding on it. Then the, the sailors were so fearful of hitting the northern coast of Africa, which was Sidon, which was the Cirrus Sands, I'm sorry. That's what modern-day Libya is. And so they turned and then went up, and then they gave a vector going right into Malta, the southeast coast of Malta, where they encountered at nighttime on the 14th night. And then they, they dropped four anchors in the sea. They were scared to death. They heard the waves crashing on, on the shore. They didn't know what they had in front of them in the inky blackness of night. These four anchors tethered them. When the sun came up, they cut the anchors off. They went to shore. They got stuck on a reef. Uh, All the men swam to shore, but they cut those anchors and left them in the sea, Scripture said. And it gives us the exact depth and location in Scripture.
1: Now, there's a monument and a church located there on Malta where some believe that Paul ended up and landed. But you've shown uh, that that's probably not the right location. Tradition says Paul landed in St. John's Bay, but uh, as you said earlier, tradition isn't uh, always accurate. Isn't that right?
2: When the Normans conquered Malta and they kicked out the Muslims, uh, they all said, hey, this is such a great biblical story. We don't know where it is, but the priests there tell me that they just set up the church there and they started tradition and people have accepted it, but it's impossible. There's no bay with a beach there. There's no way that the ship could have gone in that direction with the wind and everything. It's just impossible. The only place it could happen with the bay, there's only two bays with beaches in Malta at all, and the one that the Bible talks about is a bay with the beach with a reef in front of it. And it's where the Bible uses the term top on the batholoson, which is a Greek word which means where two seas come together. And so that's exactly, if you go there today on a high, windy day, you can see these two currents crashing over this reef, and there's a the bay with the beach. There's nowhere else that it could be but at this exact place. And the Bible says that they lowered the anchors in 90 feet of water. They hit 90 feet of water and they dropped those anchors in. So we went out in front of the reef, 90 feet of water. We found that these anchors were there at one time. I didn't find them. They were located by fishermen that didn't even know what they had.
1: You encountered some men on Malta who were divers. Tell me about uh, your time with Ray and and, uh, tell me about his mentor, Tony.
2: Ray Chancho and Tony McAuliffe-Borg, real interesting characters. Tony, I didn't get a chance to meet him because he died diving for a grouper, and he, his body was even missing for six years. They found his wetsuit just with his skeleton in it inside a cave six years later. But Ray tells me the story of when they went out there one morning, and they were diving, and they came across this uh, big object in the bottom of the sea. It was right at 90 feet, right in front of the Munchar Reef where the Bible says, where the two seas come together, and they found this metal object. They pulled it up with 50-gallon drums. They tied ropes around it. They put their regulators underneath these drums, lifted it up, carried it to shore. They almost broke their backs because it's like 500 pounds bringing it to shore, putting it in the cars. It's against the law to take anything out of you know, out of the ocean in Malta. They have strict regulations against antiquities being taken out of there. So They were breaking the law, so they went and took it home and hid it in their backyards covered it up. And then I found uh, four other fishermen that found the other four uh, divers. They were grouper divers in those days. They, they would go down with their spear guns and shoot these big groupers in front of this reef. Uh, and that's where the big groupers were. They called it the bank because there were so many groupers. You could bring home the money in the bank. But a lot of fishermen were out there. But they all seemed to center around this character named Tony McAuliffe who was sort of the ringleader of all the divers. And he's sort of the common denominator of all this. So I interviewed five divers that found these anchors and they brought up all four of them and we located and identified all four of the anchors.
1: That's incredible. Those divers found the anchors from Paul's Shipwreck as described in Acts twenty-seven, twenty-nine. That has to be the greatest archaeological find since the Dead Sea Scrolls.
2: The problem is, and by the way, these anchors were identified as first century anchors off an Alexandrian grain freighter from Dr. Bonanno from the University of Malta. So at this, we have anchors in the exact place that Paul says, that Luke writes, in the narrative of the Paul story. We have, they're in the exact depth, they're in the exact location, and they're clustered together, and they were, the fascinating thing, they were 120 feet apart, which means if you drop anchors from a ship and it goes down, you would have four anchors, then 50 feet, 40 feet. These were 120 feet, so they were in a spread pattern, exactly as the Bible said, to tether the the ship before it went against the rocks in that storm in that 14th night. So everything fits exactly as Luke says, and yet the world is not jumping up and down and saying this is the greatest discovery that we've ever heard of because people are more interested in episodic events such as the Red Sea parting or Noah's ark or God descending on in fire in Mount Sinai. Those huge events people are fascinated with, but a mundane There's just four anchors. People don't get excited about that. But for me, it literally changed my life because it shows the Bible is so accurate. It's just precise. And Luke is chronically accurate in his narrative. And we're just faithful to follow it. And these four anchors were identified at the exact place that Luke said.
1: Well, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking today with Bob Cornuke about his exciting book, The Lost Shipwreck of Paul. It is a beautiful hardcover book with a section of color photos. This is one of those books that you can't put down, and you have to have your own copy. And you can get one at a a special price by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order at our website, swrc.com. Now, Bob, I've heard you talk about the lead that was used in these anchors. There was something special about that lead, wasn't there?
2: Yeah, the lead is very valuable today because when you have 2,000-year-old lead, it it loses its radioactivity or the, the harming properties of lead. Doctors and hospitals and medical personnel uh, really, really would love to have this this lead. It's just extremely valuable, this ancient lead. I do have a big chunk of it because one of the anchors was cut up. When Tony brought it up, they said, hey, they're dumb, young, 19, 20, 21-year-old divers, and they had no lead. It was after World War II, and they had nothing for dive belt. So they said, hey, we've got all this lead here in this anchor. Let's just cut it up put it in these little pots and heat it up and melt it and then pour it into molds and make it into dive weights and they did and i have the last surviving dive weight in fact i cut a piece of it off and gave it to a very famous man douglas gresham his father is c.s lewis and douglas gresham lives over malta over the bay and he is now partnering with me on this he's been so good about helping me with this story but you know having your father as c.s lewis is kind of cool and uh, I gave him a piece of this lead, and he said, you know, it's, it's his prized possession.
1: It's an incredible book. It's an incredible story. The Lost Shipwreck of Paul. And Bob Cornuke is our guest today. And again, I'm so excited that you uh, took the time to uh, sit in with me and tell us about this book and your adventures as you've searched for treasure around the world. The Lost Shipwreck
0: of Paul book and DVD can be yours for a gift of $25 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Here's ministry president Dr. Kenneth Hill to share some important information about this year's Gleanings Project.
3: It's good to be talking with you again. I am delighted to be here at the end of the year to talk to you about Southwest Radio Church's needs and how you can help meet those needs. It's this time of the year that we give gifts and we celebrate the birth of Christ we're told that the gifts began flowing to the Christ child from those who came to seek him. And at this time of the year, there's been a tradition of sorts that's come up that is a time of gift giving. We give gifts one to another because That's the only way we can do it. We help others in the name of Christ. We give gifts in the name of Christ, as if it were Christ himself giving those gifts. At this time of the year as well, here at the Watchman on the Wall broadcast and Southwest Radio Church Ministries, we wind up the year by having what we call a gleanings offering. We have spent a year of proclaiming God's Word. We've been contending for the faith. We have been informing you of prophetic signs of the times. And we are here because of God's grace and His provision. The Watchman on the Wall broadcast is a continuation of the oldest continuing daily gospel communications ministry in these United States. It was begun by Dr. E.F. Weber in 1933. And we are the continuation of that very effort. Now, the Webbers found difficulty in uh, getting enough money to continue the work of the Watchmen on the Wall in 1957. And it looked like things were just going to close up. And they prayed about it, and they began this gleanings offering that we continue this year. Now, it started in 1957, And here in 2021, we find ourselves in a similar fate as our predecessors did, in that we need financial help to continue the ministry. The need is nearly overwhelming. It's not overwhelming because we know that God is in charge. But we're trusting that you will consider what you can give to support this ministry and keep it going into 2022. Now, the gleanings letter and the gleanings offering that we pursue on an annual basis at this time come from Scripture. Do you remember the gleanings from God's plan for Israel? Well, the people of Israel were commanded by God to leave grain in the corners of their fields and uh, any grain that had fallen to the ground, just leave it there so that the poor, the needy, the strangers that were in the land could have food. The harvest time was the time of in-gathering of food. If you were a farmer, you would have many people out helping you gather the harvest and some would drop portions of grain Instead of having them pick it up, God said, no, leave it there. So the poor, the needy, the strangers, can have something to survive on. This was the welfare system, if you will, in Israel at the time. Jeremiah even warned Israel that God was bringing judgment upon them because they'd forgotten to leave the gleanings for the poor And he prophesied that in Jeremiah 49 and verse 9. This thing called gleanings then goes back to the Old Testament provision that God made for those in need. And it was what was left over. It was what was dropped. It was what was discarded. Well, what we're asking you to do is to consider what you have left in the year's business, and to give from your gleanings, if you will. You see, most of the giving that we get here at Southwest Radio Church and the Watchman on the Wall broadcast come from people that really can't afford to give what they give. Now, they give it, but they give it knowing that if God does not supply their need, there will be nothing for them after they give. And we find that people who have a small purse usually give the biggest of the offerings. Isn't that interesting? And When we look into God's word, we see that being the same. The widow with her mites giving more than the rich rulers of Israel because it was not a question of how much do you give, but how much do you have left when you've given. And she had nothing left. She gave it all. And so here with the gleaning, we're not asking you to give your last dollar or your last nickel. We're asking you to give as God has worked in your life in the year 2021. And so that's what we ask. That's what gleanings are all about. And that's what our gleaning offering is all about. You can give by going to swrc.com. And if you give your gift before midnight on the 31st, it counts as a gift in 2021. Also, let me remind you that you can donate by calling our offices during regular business hours, 1-800-652-1144. That's 800-652-1144. Now, any amount that you give, any amount that you can donate for your gleaning offering, will be received with thanksgiving unto the Lord. We need your help. We need your support. And we ask you for you to consider, to pray about the matter, and to decide what God would have you to give to assist this ministry. Once again, the website is swrc.com. Our phone number is 800-652-1144. I want us to pause for just a moment and to pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the love that never fails, is unending, and is without favor. You love us with a love that's perfect, and we thank you for that love. We thank you for your love that compelled you to send your Son to be our Savior. And we thank you for this time of the year in which we celebrate the very birth of the God-man, Jesus Christ thank you Father for the working here at the Watchman on the Wall broadcast and thank you that it's been going since 1933 and it's only been going by your provision and so we ask you to provide through your people we ask for you to send the funds that are necessary for us to continue the outreaches here at the Watchman on the Wall broadcast. We thank you for what you're going to do. We thank you for each of these, your people, that are going to be giving. And we ask your special blessing upon them and upon us in the work that you have given us to do. We give you praise, we give you thanks, and we give you the adoration that is due to your name. We do so in the name that's above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our soon-coming King, amen and amen.
0: The Lost Shipwreck of Paul book and DVD by Bob Cornuke are our featured resources today. Get both the book and DVD when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we continue our look back at listener favorites from 2021 with Michael Samuel Smith in his look at John the Baptist. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit
1: swrc.com.